It's time for Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM. Welcome to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. That, of course, is 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa. And you can also hear us on the iHeartRadio app. If you download the app and then punch in our coordinates, you can take us with you Anywhere you go, we also want to welcome those listeners on other radio stations that now carry Moment of Truth, as well as anyone listening on their favorite podcast platform and or on our SoundCloud. We welcome you all. It is a pleasure to welcome to the show Ron Chapman. Now, Ron is here, and let me pull up my files. I've got about 10 different pages happening here, and they're buried on top of each other. Ron Chapman is a, is a director and producer, and he's an award-winning Toronto filmmaker. His feature documentaries have garnered acclaim worldwide and have aired on major networks and platforms, including Who the FK is Arthur Fogel, featuring Lady Gaga, U2, The Police, Madonna, Rush, and key musical industry insiders, as well as The Poet of Havana with Carlos Valera. Then Benicio Del Toro, Jackson Brown, The Forbidden Shore, an in-depth exploration of Cuba's top musical artists. That's just uh, some of the things that he's got going on. And he's got uh, some a new one. It's a live version of Carlos Varla in uh, Valera, rather, in, in Havana. That's going to be, actually was released in January. But he's got other stuff coming up, and it's a pleasure to have Ron on the show. Ron, did I get most of the names right there? I just want to clarify that. Well, uh, Carlos, it's Carlos Varela. Varela, okay. Uh, that's his, his pronunciation. And, and, of course, Benicio Del Toro mm-hmm. is the other one. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. I appreciate you. But uh, it's all a mouthful. It's all a mouthful. <laughs> and, uh, and then I know you were looking at all those other Spanish names, and it was kind of daunting. So so I think you made the right decision. Well, thank you. For, <laughs> thanks for coming to my rescue there. I appreciate that. Uh, but, but today we're here to talk to you about yet another film that you have coming up, and I believe it's going to have its, uh, its uh, debut at the World uh, Jewish... Uh, the Toronto Jewish Film Festival on June 3rd. That's going to be uh, coming up, correct? Correct. So, uh, listen, you know, it, it's it's great that you're here to talk about these things, but there's some other some other films that I also want to mention. Um, uh, the latest documentary feature, The Earth to Sky, the story of eight Indigenous architects from Turtle Island, will have its world premiere on TV on June 21st of this year. That was the other one I was right. thinking about. National uh, Indigenous Peoples Day. Absolutely. Seven, seven, seven architects. Oh, seven. It uh, says eight here in my notes. No, yeah, so apologize but, for that. Um, can you tell me a little bit more about that film? It's a, a, a great uh, film that I've been really passionate about uh, and got to work with a, an incredible group of talented architects from Turtle Island, Canada, the States. You know, certainly a different uh, different understanding of borders. And, um, and I think uh, it, it offers a, a great insight into um, the indigenous architecture, what that is, what that process is, um, and uh, what they call on in doing that. So that film, I think, uh, you know, is what was an absolute pleasure to make. I got, uh, I got to, uh, to meet and spend time with the indigenous communities across North America, as well as in New Zealand with the Maori. And, uh, and we did a great presentation in, at the, uh, at the Biennale of Architecture in Venice. Uh, so I'm looking forward to, to the release of that film and, uh, and being able to share that. Uh, thank you for, for On TVO, TVO, yeah, that's, TVO, that's, that's right. going to be with TVO. Yeah, yeah that's right. Uh, I think it's also somewhat of a little bit of a segue 
into shelter mm-hmm. because we are going to be talking about buildings and the building of Toronto specifically uh, from shelter and, and this film. So I think it's it's kind of neat in in that regard. Although you know that you're talking about architects in in uh, Earth to Sky, but in Shelter, uh, you take us back to World War II, of course, and you take us back to the journey of uh, the the Jewish people that were exiting Europe around that time and the families that that immigrated to Canada and uh, and talk about their stories. Now, the other thing I, I want to ask you about, because you yourself have had a really interesting career. Uh, I believe you started out as a, as a musician. Correct. I did. And, yeah. and, and you got some new material out now, or it's, do you? I do. I have uh, an album I released uh, a while ago. I have a, a video I released a, a little while ago. But, you know, that's just my, that's a passion yeah. of mine. That's something that I, I've stayed close to. I love uh, making music, the process of making music, working working in the recording studio, and and the kind of connection that you have with other musicians that sort of transcends anything else, any other kind of thing you could possibly do in this world. There's this... Uh, you know, you 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 have this collective consciousness of creation that happens in the moment that is that is unlike anything else you do. So it's mm. a it's an amazing uh, an amazing experience, and and I'm so glad to have had that as part of my life mm. uh, as a musician. I've also you know produced records. Yeah. I've been a concert producer. Yep. I've been a club owner. Um, done all of that stuff. So music music played a very important part of my life. Yeah, so uh, for sure. and and was a lot of that based in around the Toronto area? It was. Uh, it definitely was. Yeah, I, I, I worked with uh, Canadian artists. I produced Canadian artists. I managed Canadian artists. I was a manager also. I I started up a club uh, called The Edge in Toronto, uh, which was pretty famous worldwide. Mm. Uh, when I started with it, it was called Edgerton's. Initially, mm. when I first got involved, it was mm-hmm. a a folk club transformed it into a, a, a more of a new wave and, uh, um, music venue um, and a you know new wave and, and eclectic uh, artists and, and musicians and I did that for many years. I also promoted concerts all over the place during that time um, and you know produced different artists mm. and managed them. Yeah, I think that that's interesting because again, we're talking about the city of Toronto. So I think that your your focus in shelter around the Toronto area and the families that you focused on and the building up of Toronto, how it got developed, what it what the immigrants that moved in and and how that all shaped. Uh, I think your story is is part of that. So I wanted to just uh, touch on that a little bit. Going back to shelter, the story is about, of course. I think resilience. It's about resilience of people uh, and and uh, and going from nothing to something, as it's pointed out in the film, and uh, you know, taking that opportunity and and running with it. Uh, at the end of the film, we see two people mentioned that aren't mentioned in the film, and it's, you're giving thanks to them, and they're your parents, uh, Harold yes. and Mary. Well, I, they're they're the children of yeah. immigrants who came to this country, you know, and and you know one of the important things and one of the reasons I took on this film was yes, it's a film about these Jews who immigrated to Canada, ended up in Toronto with nothing, built up this industry of what was called the affordable apartment rental industry, which which uh, which they kind of dreamed up and uh, as an extension of their business, which allowed close to, you know, a million, Toronto to grow from uh, almost a million people between 1954 and when rent controls came in because they created over 500,000 units that made that possible for people to come here and live with a sense of decency 
because they built good good places. They weren't immigrants coming living in basements with you know with, with rats and no hot water and slum mm-hmm. landlords mm-hmm. abusing them. They built places where people could live with a sense of self respect, um, and 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 that's an incredible thing. My my parents, um, you know, were the children of immigrants. And and again, who adopted this city, as did so many immigrants and contributed so much to it. They were they were uh, passionate about social justice, about contributing to the community, about caring, building, developing culture, all those things, as were uh, all of the families that Mm -hmm. that ended up being looked at in this film that built it up. They all contributed so much to what Toronto is in so many different areas. And I really felt that in these xenophobic times where there's the kind of insanity and craziness going on, where nobody even knows what the truth is, and you're mm. allowed to, mm-hmm. you know, if you tell the lie enough, it becomes it becomes reality. You know, for some reason, certainly in 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 in, uh, in, in the states, especially over the last while, you know, there's been assault on immigrants as mm. being a bad thing. Right. And to me, it's just unbelievable that these people who are calling immigrants a bad thing are the children of immigrants. <laughs> it's it's the, one of the most ridiculous situations I've seen who are now saying that, oh, immigrants are a bad thing. They wouldn't be here if immigrants were a bad thing. They wouldn't be where they were. They wouldn't have the life they were. And without question, if you look at Toronto, which you know has grown into one of the most successful multicultural cities in the world, it was these buildings allowed these waves and influx of immigrants from so many different cultures to uh, come into the city to build their lives and to contribute to the fabric and growth of this city. Uh, that's really special. That's the most important message that could possibly come out of this film. It's not just a Toronto message. It's not just a Canadian message. It's an international message that I think uh, couldn't come uh, at a more important time in, in our history. The other side of this story, though, that I think is really interesting is the history we get to see of Toronto itself, of, of it developing. Because you do take us back and you show us the city developing, you know, prior to what it is now, we see the farmlands, we see the the vacant lots, we see the the stories behind the buildings as they they start to uh, take part and start to grow. And you do take us back prior to that. You take us back to the war. You take us back to Europe, to Poland. And we see the stories of these families that suffered greatly, that that lost family members and only by certain heroics do we see that certain members of the family were allowed to live were allowed to escape you know i remember one of the lines from from one of the uh the offspring the kids saying it was the the greatest thing you you, you left us was this uh it was i think it was integrity or or you know something like that resilience or integrity that's yeah. the best thing you that's the thing you left us with and and that whole idea of of that plus the other thing that stood out to me was the line about what these people came from to lose everything mm-hmm. is no big deal you know to to lose uh you know to to, to lose a building to go bankrupt it, it's to, to come from escaping death or escaping what was in in europe at the time that this is nothing it's nothing to be afraid of so it, it gives us a you know a new perspective and a new look at at what and how people perceived these families moving forward on, on on taking chances, I guess, right? Becoming entrepreneurs. Well, you know, you you you're mentioning something which are, I think is another key theme and element in the film, and 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 I guess a key insight and 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 lesson 
you know, um, and, and especially coming through COVID, as we all have, where all of a sudden so many things were stripped away from everybody. Mm. And all of a sudden you didn't have the ability to do so many things, have access to so many things. We had to change. And, and, and especially at the beginning, you know, when people started realizing that all of a sudden, you know, the canals in Venice had fish and the, the <laughs> environment was getting better. And they went, you know, well, you know, maybe there's these things we should be living without. I don't think that's necessarily going to continue, but there was that insight. Mm -hmm. um, there was certainly that insight at the beginning. I think, you know, these people who arrived here, I mean, many of them arrived with nothing, like, you know, $10 in their pocket, $18 in their pocket. Yeah. They lost, you know, their families. They lost their fathers, their mothers, their brothers, their sisters. They were all murdered. They were all taken away. Uh, through the atrocities that happened and 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 the fact that they could even sit down and say i'm gonna keep going after mm -hmm. after mm -hmm. all they had been through is is such a testament to their resilience right. and their will and you and, and the humanities will right. will to survive to overcome these things i mean it's uh it's awesome uh, in that regard you know, what they were able to to do and build but the point that you said after having gone through that when it came to a business deal where maybe you know maybe you'd win maybe you'd lose mm. maybe you'd go bankrupt whatever mm. it was like i'm gonna go bankrupt and that's a problem <laughs> i don't have people at my door i'm not in right. a concentration camp i right. don't you know this is this is not a threat and i think that really informed them because you know the community who's here uh living in the kind of comfort that we've lived into they don't look at it like that you know if you're going to lose that deal if you're going to lose that money it's yeah. a really big thing right. for them Right. They had everything. They had a country where they where people weren't going to going to kill them mm -hmm. and they had opportunity and they embraced it and they embraced the country. Right. Right. Absolutely. I am speaking with Ron Chapman. He is here on the show, Moment of Truth. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. I'm your host, David Moses. Yes, Ron Chapman, director and producer. We're talking to him about his uh, new film. It's called Shelter, and it is going to have its world premiere at the uh, Toronto Jewish Film Festival on June 3rd. So you can look for it there. You can go online, I guess, to find out more, Ron. Is mm -hmm. that right, to uh, find out about tickets? Absolutely. Toronto Jewish Film Festival selling tickets, or you can go to uh, to my website, chapmanproductions.ca slash shelter, and that will also direct you to tickets. You know, the other thing about this film, then, and you touched on it, and I mentioned it as well, um, that I thought was really interesting is about, is, is about the Jewish population and the Jewish people coming and emigrating and the anti-Semitism that they faced and you know even trying to get a job was difficult and so the when you hear you know him somebody say at one point well the reason why so many jewish people become entrepreneurs is because you, you don't have to have anybody's permission <laughs> it's, yeah. it's what you can do you just do it right you just do it when, you know when they arrived i mean you know toronto which is such an amazing you know again i mentioned it, one of the top multicultural cities in the world right mm. now that was not who Toronto was right. back in the 50s, early 50s. Toronto was a prejudiced city, you know, where where Jews and Catholics, they weren't allowed to walk on certain streets. They yeah. weren't allowed to cross lines. Jews were not allowed to enter professions. They weren't allowed to be engineers or educators, or they weren't allowed to be, you know, accountants. All of these 
things that, you know, you weren't allowed to go to certain motels. It had no juice signs on them and stuff, you know, juice not allowed. People think that Toronto is what it is, but Toronto was not what it is. You know, Canada turned away a boat full of people mm-hmm. during the Holocaust and mm-hmm. sent them back to their deaths. Right. You know, uh, this was this 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 was not what it was. And 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 I, I believe and, and it's not just me, but but but. It is all of these immigrants that we finally allowed to come into our city that came in waves that ended up educating the population and changing the population and changing opinion because they saw the people of Toronto saw the contribution that they made, saw that they were hardworking and saw that they cared about community and built community and contributed. And that is really what has made us a very, very special place. And Mm -hmm. when you look around the world at other cities and how they've dealt with the integration of immigrants, we should be very proud uh, mm-hmm. of a city and a country in terms of what we've done and how we've handled it. It's you know, yeah, not to take away or, or get off topic here, but as you were talking there about the restrictions and, and the Jewish people couldn't do this and some of the Catholic people, some of the restrictions in the city that is pointed out about, you know, you can't go past this street and, mm-hmm. and those kind of things, all those restrictions, you know, uh, that you mentioned. Sounds very familiar, of course, uh, with with what we know about Indigenous people in the country as well uh, that we've heard yes. about. Um, you know, well, and, and and you know, you mentioned my other film. It's yeah. very strange that I ended up having these two films. I mean, one of the films is about the original inhabitants of this country and the effect mm. that immigration, people coming, colonizing the colonizers, imposed on them and how that changed their reality you know uh, and the other film is about immigrants who came after that and and then contributed Uh, so it's 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 very strange being in the middle of these two films right right uh great and they're both coming up so uh, both both films that people can get to see in a very short period of time um the other thing about the film uh is that you did these remakes or or reenactments that you did both in uh in in this country as well as in europe um how important is that to to that to the film do you think that that we had to see that those re- those re- the reenactments. Well, I think I, th- I think I think it was uh, essential. First of all, you know, I, I I'm not uh, as a filmmaker just grabbing a bunch of stock footage or archival footage and slapping it in over some talking heads mm. is not uh, not interesting, not filmic, and not very creative. And you know, a lot of documentaries mm. are very much like that. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's because of budget; they're restricted yeah. uh, in that way, and sometimes it's just because that's what the filmmaker wanted to do. Um, for me. With this story, especially, I wanted to investigate a couple of themes. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't just what did they do once they landed here. Mm. I wanted to find out, I wanted to investigate a bunch of themes. I wanted to say, why immigrate mm. from in the first place? Why did, why did this group of people, why do people immigrate? And, and I addressed that with the, with the uh, families that came over in the 20s. From, uh, from Europe, and I investigated that with the families who came over, uh, you know, because of the sec- just before the Second World War, fleeing it, mm. or ones that actually managed through serendipity, and, and that's made very clear, to live through it. They, no one understands who, who got through right. that, understands why they were allowed to live yeah. when yeah. so many others right. were not. It's, yeah. you know, there, there's resilience, there's strength, and there's right. just who knows why right. that happened. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to follow them. I wanted to follow them uh, back 
across the the ocean to uh, to Canada to Toronto, and I wanted to follow them building their lives up. Uh, and 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 to that end, these stories were so impactful and so beautiful. But they're not. They're, you know, there's no film language that could allow me to show you what these stories were and to give you an insight and to bring you into their into their minds, into their memories without me doing the kind of recreations that I did. So they were uh, a foundation, a cornerstone of this film uh, and, and you know, a, a real focus of mine. I, I, I mean, in Europe, I, I had uh, 60 actors that I used in Europe and a, and a crew and was there for quite a while filming mm. those. And in Toronto, pretty much the same, another mm. 60 actors to try and mm. recreate uh, and to uh, to be able to show what it was like for these immigrants and some of the situations they had to contend with uh, as they were landing, developing, finding their feet, and beginning their businesses and building building these these buildings. Right. And moving on, I guess more into the story about one thing. I guess things are somewhat rolling. Uh, we get to see a rather very colorful character that that uh, props up in your film, um, Eddie, um, and. <laughs> Wow, he could be—he could be Robert Redford's brother. Holy smokes! Yeah, Eddie. Eddie, you, you know, as you can, you know, Eddie was amazing. Eddie Cogan was yeah. amazing. The city wouldn't be what this city yeah. is without Eddie Cogan, right. and uh, he was a larger-than-life character, uh, and very unusual for Toronto, which is right. sort of a staid city back in the day. You know, he was anything but that. But uh, but so many things that we have are a result of Eddie Cogan and his his brilliance, his uh, his instincts mm-hmm. uh, in terms of all the all these buildings and packages that he put together, yeah. as well as things like, you know, like the Eaton Center, the Sky Dome, yeah. uh, Young Eglinton. There's just yeah. it goes on and on. He was uh, an amazing character that, you know, probably Canadians and Torontonians don't know enough about and and i and i think that's the thing about this story you know when i looked at it initially it wasn't just a story of a bunch of you know people were saying well how are you going to make a film about uh, just a bunch of successful rich builders (laughs) and 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 i went you know the truth is you got it you've got to peel away Mm. the surface and see what's behind that Mm -hmm. when you see where these people came from, mm-hmm. what they did, what they overcome, as opposed to looking at them now and saying, well, you know, they're all very, very well to do. And yeah. You know, you realize that what they went through and what their families went through just diminishes anything that mm-hmm. anyone else has dealt with in this country. Yeah. It's, 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 an, it's just an amazing story, an amazing yeah. story. And, and it's a story that really tells us and informs us about the growth of Toronto, mm. how we got to where we are and how we became who we are. Yeah. It was very much intertwined yeah. with their lives and their journey. You know, you know the other thing about the, the idea of, uh, as you say, yes, the success and looking at that success and, and going, yeah, well, I make a, a film about th- this. But, but it's interesting also to see as they were growing, as they, as they were doing these things, they also... Uh, didn't just want to build. It wasn't just about building. It wasn't just about the profits. It's about, it, for instance, it's pen- mentioned in the film, building something that is going to last because yeah. there's less maintenance involved. It's going to last longer. It's going to be supported. You're going to, and you're going to attract better people to these buildings. Absolutely. Uh, you know, one of the things that, that's very clear about the buildings they built is they took the extra care because because of pride, because of 
where they came from, the kind of buildings they were in Europe, where you had places where a family could live in a building as opposed to a small little, you know, 200 square foot thing. They thought about the rooms. They thought about the balconies. They thought about the, the living space. They thought about what, what surrounded the building and there being space for families to, to mm-hmm. grow. That was, uh, that was so important for them. And they use quality materials. Yeah. Now, by using quality materials, it means clearly the maintenance on the building would be less over time. But what is so fascinating is that all of the inventory that they built still exists today, mm. is still being used today, mm-hmm. and will be here in another 50 right. or 150 years. And, 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 you know, with the research I've done and the people I've spoken to, it seems clear to me that that's not necessarily the case with a lot of places that have been built in the last while. The, the materials that have been used and the, the workmanship that went into it are nowhere of the quality of the workmanship that happened there. Those buildings are going to have serious problems structurally and otherwise mm-hmm. and, and, and will probably not have the life that these buildings uh, have. Yeah. Don't yeah. want to scare people, but <laughs> it's, it's true. That comes from the experts, not from me. <laughs> right. And, and we get that example of the one uh, Asian woman who has been living in there and uh, raised an entire family. Uh, and their, her parents passed on and she's now raising her own family in there over 50 years, I believe, in the same apartment. Yeah, no, I mean, Elon Musk came out of one of those buildings. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, there, there's all kinds of people uh, who have come out of there and impacted uh, certainly Toronto, Canada, and and the world. Mm. You know, they 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 bred uh, and and gave a chance for these people to help define themselves, find themselves, and go forward and be successful right. with confidence. Right, Ron, been fascinating speaking with you. Just as we finish up, is there anything else that you you think about in terms of this film that you want people to know or or consider as they they watch this film? Um, no, I think, you know what, you've been great. And I think you covered, uh, you know, all, all the central themes. I, I think that, uh, you know, I mean, I, I think it's an important film for all people to see. I think what I, I guess what I would say is, you know, this is a film about, uh, about Jews and, um, but it's a, but more than that, it's a, it's a film about immigrants. To me, it's a film about immigrants and immigration, and they happen to be Jewish. You know, there's been all kinds of immigrants that have come to this city. You know, be it the Vietnamese people, be it the Syrians who have come recently, the, the Italians who came in and contributed so much to the growth of the city. You know, you can go through it. The Portuguese, you know, the, uh, the you know, people from India who came here. When you look China, I mean, you look at this city, it's amazing. These people have contributed so much. I just think that uh, this is a universal story, and it's a story that really everybody should see. It's not mm-hmm. like, oh, it's a Jewish film. I'm not Jewish. I shouldn't right. see it. It's, it's a film that everybody needs to see, especially at this time, to help bring us back to a sense of sanity about who we are as a people and what's important and how we interact with each other. It's a, the world is getting smaller and smaller, you know, and the kind of xenophobia that's come up in the last while is not going to sustain us. Mm. It's not. Right. So, you know, it's, I hope that it is seen by many peoples, uh, not just, 
the Jewish community. Right, right. Nicely said, Ron. Uh, thank you again so much for taking the time to join us on the show. Talk about your film Shelter, which people can see in the Toronto Jewish Film Festival on June 3rd of this year. So you can go out more, go on to the Toronto uh, Jewish Film Festival to find out more about getting tickets, or you can head over to uh, Ron's uh, website himself, as he pointed out, to Chapman Productions. Is that uh, chapmanproductions.com, Ron? .ca. .ca. Captainproductions.ca. Yeah. So uh, you can find out more about that film. I recommend you check it out. It's a very interesting look. Uh, as we said, it's not only about these builders, it's about, it's about the building of Toronto. It, it's a really interesting look uh, at uh, the history of the city itself, at the very least. So, Ron, uh, thanks again for taking the time to join us. And uh, Ron, of course, is a director and producer and an award-winning Toronto filmmaker. And it's been a pleasure to have him on the show talking about his film, Shelter. Ron, thanks again. A pleasure. Thank you so much, David. All right, you Thank take you. care. Bye-bye. You too. Bye. Thank you. And that is this portion of Moment of Truth. Please don't go away. We will be right back with more right here on Element FM. Now back to Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM. And welcome back to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. You can also listen on the iHeartRadio app. And you know what to do. Download the app and punch in our coordinates and then take us with you anywhere you go. And so it's a pleasure to welcome to the show, and I guess welcome back to the show, Elaine Bombery is here. And she's here to talk about something new. Uh, it's, it's a story that she's got in a new book called Indigenous Toronto. So it's a pleasure to have Elaine back on the show. Now, Elaine was actually on the show, one of the first guests we did here on Element FM and Moment of Truth with her husband, Murray Porter. And that was back in 2018, when we could actually still get together and it was in the studio in Toronto. So, Elaine, Sago, and welcome. Sago, David, how you doing? I'm doing okay. I'm, uh, you know, it, it's it's... I'm getting used to this. I mean, we're into a year plus now with this COVID situation. Well, it's been over a year now, and I've been stuck in my basement doing these things. (laughs) And I don't get to see people much anymore. (laughs) So, you know, I've been turning my camera on of late to see people. And now I've got another thing to contend with, Elaine, because... What's going on is I get to see people sitting outside or in the daylight, you know, and they're enjoying the, the weather, and I'm sitting in the basement, you know, <laughs> without, without any daylight. But it's nice to see people. It's nice to at least have that interaction visually now with people. So we've got Elaine on the line from the West Coast, beautiful British Columbia. So it's a pleasure to have her on the show. So, so Elaine, Indigenous Toronto, you have a story in this book about your parents and how they met. It's a love story. Yeah, yes. And it's a story um, I've been wanting to tell for quite some time. Uh, My mother, the late Rita Bomberry, she's uh, been gone now for uh, 21 years. It's hard Mm. to believe. Mm. And uh, that's something, you know, she she told me the love story. Um, So I always kept it in my mind and uh, we'd always joke around my mother and I saying, Oh, we got to make this into a movie. Like why not a cool urban (laughs) Mm. Indian love story? Mm. Like, you know, stories we don't hear. We don't yeah. hear these kinds of stories yeah. very often. So, and we'd joke around and my mom would say, okay, I want Irene Bedard to play me and Adam Beach to play your dad. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah, so it's a story about how they first met on a Toronto streetcar. Yeah. 
Now, you know, what's interesting is when I read the story, I learned things about you and your family that I didn't know. You know, I didn't realize, for instance, that you were you were raised in Toronto and spent a lot of time there when you were a kid. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. you never know what you learn about people when you, you know, we, we assume certain things about people. Right. But we just yeah. don't know. So it's really interesting to to have read the story and tell us more about the book itself. The You know, we'll get into the story. and We'll talk a little bit about that. But Indigenous Toronto. How did you know? It, it's really great that all these stories are in there. Yes, it's uh, been a project that's been in uh, when um, our dear friend, me and Denise Bulduk's dear friend, uh, Greg Young Eng, mm. uh, was approached by uh, Coach House Books of Toronto mm. to help put together the anthology. And, um, and you know, Greg passed away now. It's been just a little over a year now, a year and a half. And um, so he planted the seed um, in our brains about this uh, anthology. And so uh, Coach House, uh, when they were getting ready to put it all together, uh, the, one of the publishers, John uh, Lawrence, came and met me. That's when we did a Res Blues in Toronto at the Eagle Club. And so he came and met me and and uh, he was talking about the concept of the book and wanted to bring together a number of different people who lived in Toronto and uh, or, you know, did live in Toronto and had stories to share. And so he w- was talking to me about wanting to know if I'd be willing to contribute something. And I thought, yeah, sure, you know, I'll think of something. And then he wanted some suggestion of an editor. And who's at Res Blues? Brian Wright McLeod. Mm-hmm. So I bring Brian over <laughs> to meet John. And uh, they t- they two got together. And next thing you know, Brian's an editor and Den- Denise Bulduk as well and two other um, people, Rebecca Tababanan and uh, Manwate Gordon Corbier, Corbier right. uh, also. So there's four Indigenous um, editors on this book. So, um, you know, it was really, um, it was so cool to see. And the dedication at the front of the book is to Greg. Right. You know, he's a, a dear, dear friend of mine for mm. like over 30 years. He was my friend. So when the book got here, like he'd always come and visit us in Toronto. He lived in Penticton. And so when, when, um, the book came, I, I put the book in where Greg usually sat at, <laughs> at our dining room table, put a glass of wine and lit a candle there for him. <laughs> nice. That's great. Just to, yeah. yeah, that's great. You, you know, I was really surprised to see, uh, of course, also in the book are a couple of stories by my cousin, Daniel David Moses is in there as well. I was. Oh, yeah, yeah. that's right. The late Daniel the David Moses. The late Daniel Moses. David, yeah. Aww. So it was kind of nice to see him him in there. So, Elaine, where can people find this book? Do you know how they can get it? Um, you can order it online through Coach House Books. Mm-hmm. From what I understand, the first uh, printing is already sold out. Good. That's great. Yeah. So they're they're working on the second one. And I think you could buy a PDF file from them online. I'm not really mm. quite sure. But, yeah, just go to Coach House Books uh, Toronto and mm. you can uh, check that out. Okay. Now, you mentioned uh, Res Blues, and for people that, that don't know um, Elaine Bombery, I, you know, I assume everybody knows who Elaine is. So no, I- no. <laughs> <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> no, I, I know, but I'm just, I, 
I'm trying to build you up there, Elaine. Come on. Oh, okay, all right. I'll take it. <laughs> but you know, you've been you've been involved with music for such a long time. Starting out on CKRZ with your own radio show that you were doing, you know, such a long time ago, and that, of course, led you into other things. You're one of the people that got the the Junos for Indigenous People started that award for for the Junos, right? Uh, you and Buffy. Yeah. And the late Shingus, yep. too, who just yep. passed away a few months ago, too, yeah. which was so sad. It yeah. really broke my heart. Yeah. But, yeah, it was the three of us who, who got mm. the ball rolling. And uh, and now the Junos are going into their – I just got this in the mail yesterday. Oh, yes, that's right. That's yeah, right. their 50th year now, the Junos. Yep. So, and the Indigenous category is going on like 29 years or something like that. Isn't that great? Yeah. Well, you just said that, and 29 years, what is? what do you think when you hear that? I know, it's like, where did the time go? <laughs> I mean, you know, I just turned 60 last month. Well, how did that happen? <laughs> you know, time just flies. Yeah. It flies by so fast. And yeah. Marie and I have been here for 15 years. It's like, where did that time go? You know yeah. what I mean? It's just yeah. like, yeah, wow. Yeah, and, and so uh, Res Blues, you you know you you you've been involved with that, a lot of live events and and those kind of things that you've done over the years. You did a television program with APTN. Res Blues was in the clubs at first. I did a radio documentary on it, became a TV series, and after the TV series was a no go. I went back, I took it back to the clubs, <laughs> you know, back to the original model, full yeah, circle. Yeah. Right? yeah, yeah, yeah. And cool. then uh, what happened last year was our 25th anniversary of Res Blues. And so I had approached the uh, Toronto uh, Blues Society uh, about a year and a half before that to say, can we celebrate it in Toronto? And so I was able to convince them, yes, let's do a Res Blues. You know, Toronto Blues Society presents Res Blues, like, again, from the beginning, because they were the first ones who helped me produce it. Mm. And um, so we all agreed, and it was going to be in April uh, 16th at the Lula Lounge mm. right, last year. Mm-hmm. And then COVID hit. Right. Right. And right. so, boom. Everything was gone. Our whole yep. summer schedule, everything yep. was wiped out for yep. Murray, every, all the shows. Yeah. And then so the um, after the summer, the Toronto Blue Society approached me and said, well, because they, they had managed to secure uh, money to, for the 25th anniversary show, they said, well, can we, do you want to think of doing like maybe a virtual series? I said, yes, let's do it. Let's do it. Right. So we were able to do like Fridays, like just half hour shows. Right. But I was able to hire eight acts. Great. You know, yeah. and three different hosts. Yeah. You know, I had Diane Key from CKRZ, nice. Jenny Luzon, yeah. know, and myself yeah. host. Yeah. And then when you think about it, how many people would have seen the show at the Lula Lounge? Right. Yeah. As opposed to each show was getting like over 2,500 views. Fabulous. So times eight, you know, all these people got to see all our artists. And plus, it's still on YouTube. Mm. If you missed the show, you can go to Toronto Blue Society YouTube channel. And all the shows are still there, which is really cool. So, yeah, it lives on. Res Blues is still alive. It's still kicking. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm glad you mentioned about the the difference between the live event, which is fabulous, of course. Everybody loves to see. Artists love it. Audiences love it. Love it, but that's the one thing I guess COVID, ha- COVID has done now in terms of being able to open up that market and and allow people, like you just said, twenty five hundred people or so watching each show. That's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, like an audience we normally nor- no one would have seen it. Like people from all over the world could see yeah. see the show. So that was really exciting. And you know, like it's not the same for the artists, of course. No. But with the with 
the res all the res blues artists that they stepped up their game mm-hmm. i mean the the because we had to pre-record yeah. like everyone had to pre-record their shows right everyone just stepped up to the plate and i was so impressed at what was everyone was doing you know and going into a studio you know uh billy joe green in the yeah. studio in winnipeg muriel Mur- muriel <laughs> <laughs> murray in the studio <laughs> downtown vancouver yeah. you know and josh miller and yeah. pappy john's band in a yeah. studio in uh, i think they were in fort erie somewhere oh, yeah. and actually uh with um josh's performance they're um their taped uh, pre-recorded performance is nominated mm. for a Summer Solstice Indigenous Music Award yes, for solidarity. Uh, live for best live performance, you know, for that performance at Res Blues. So That's, I was so proud of them. I was like, way to go, guys. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great song. I had them on the show talking about that. It's fabulous. It's a great song. Oh, awesome. Yeah. So they're, they're nominated for live musical uh, performance of the year. Yeah. But but I guess the the thing is, Elaine, that whatever whenever we get out of this and get back to whatever normal will be uh, and can move around and can intermingle again and have live events, uh, this this side of things, the virtual side of things is probably always going to be with us from now on as we move forward. Everybody's probably going to always incorporate an element of this. Exactly. Exactly. Because, again, of the amount of people who can watch the shows and stuff like that. Yeah, that's true. And and so, Elaine, the other thing, of course, besides that, uh, there's another event coming up in the fall. I mean, we got the Junos, we got the Summer Solstice events uh, that are happening. Um, that's uh, June 12th, I think the award's going to be handed out, correct, on, for Summer Solstice? Yes, yeah. yes. And it's all online. Yeah. <laughs> online again, of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> <laughs> now, the one thing, you know, it's interesting... Uh, the book, your your story, um, it, it, you can, like you said, access it online if you get a, a PDF of it or something. But you can also get a hardcover, which is sent to you. And, and that's not uh, online, but it's, it's something you can hold in your hands. And and I think that, I don't know about, about you, but I really like that tactile version of things and being able to hold a book and read it because I want to get off my screen. I've spent so much yeah. time on it now. It's really nice to be able to sit down, not worry about a screen staring about me back at me and just be able to read a book yeah exactly exactly yeah i agree now elaine the other thing as i said coming up in the fall i guess we have the two rivers remix stuff going on yes actually um our we have a series of events we're Mm. calling it the two rivers remix virtual feast tour Mm. so uh what's happening is we're having a series of events and our first event was on saturday uh um, May the 29th, it started off with a DJ uh, dance party with mm. uh, DJ Shub from mm. Six Nations yeah. and uh, hosted by DJ Cookham, who mm. is with the Snotty Nose Res Kids, <laughs> and also DJ Osho and DJ Blackfoot and a couple of really cool hip-hop dancers. Mm. And then our, our next event will be on uh, June, Saturday, June the 26th. Okay. And uh, Murray Porter's band will be part of that event. Nice. And it's gonna we're gonna be recording it um, outside of um, outside Beyond Hope, <laughs> BC. That is <laughs> at a beautiful venue out there. Ah. And uh, there's a number of other performers as well. Uh, haven't been announced yet, but that's coming down the pipe. And also, we're gonna have another event in August, and it's gonna be coming to us from Toronto. And it's going to focus on the, um, do you remember seeing that uh, album project, the Native North America? 
with uh, the late Willie Dunn. Shingoose was oh, yeah, part yeah, of it, yeah. Willie Thrasher, and they got nominated for a Grammy for that project. Wow. So we're bringing together some of the artists on that. Uh, Lawrence Martin as well was part of that. Mm. And uh, so we're going to bring a number of those musicians together in Toronto, and then we're going to uh, – play it through our virtual feast site. Mm. And then our actual festival is in September, mm. 4th, 5th, and 6th, so three days. And again, um, again with now BC's opening up, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, the new guidelines came down just yesterday. Okay. So we're busy going through that to see what's going to happen for, the, for September. Maybe right. potentially we'll be able to have a live audience. Yeah. You know, so again, the d- discussion becomes, well, we, we should record it too as well. You mm-hmm. know? Oh yeah, yeah. You know, sure. so yeah. So it's it's a whirlwind. <laughs> I, I in the morning I wake up. I'm like, okay, which show am I working on? So I have to bounce around, you know. But I love it. I love it. I feel the same way because I've been doing that with the interviews on all these shows. I'm going, what what's going on? What am I doing yeah. now? <laughs> what am I talking about today? <laughs> so I have all my little media releases in my calendar right. here, just going, okay, all right. <laughs> yeah. But it's really great to see all this stuff going on too, right? It's fabulous. Exactly, exactly. The the whole wave of Indigenous talent and mm. entertainment has reached a whole new plateau, mm-hmm. you know? And just look at what's happening with film and television as well. Like, look at all those nominees and winners at the Canadian Screen Awards, you know? And out here now, the Leo Awards. Monkey Beach is nominated like crazy. And, you know, it's just such an exciting time, you know? I was mm-hmm. waiting for this day to happen. Yeah. <laughs> You are listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. This is Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. My guest here on the show is Elaine Bomberry. Elaine was one of the very first guests we had on Element FM and Moment of Truth back when we first started the show in 2018, along with her husband, blues man Murray Porter. So it is a pleasure to have Elaine back on the show to talk about a story that she wrote for Indigenous Toronto, which you can pick up at Coach House Books online. And it is Elaine's story about her parents and how they met on the Red Rocket in Toronto, a streetcar in Toronto. And so it's a pleasure to have her on the show talking about this. Elaine Bombery, of course, is an events planner and someone that has been involved with music for a long time. So it's a pleasure to have her on the show. Yeah, it's very true. And, and and also I think, you know, the the way that these not only the events but the collaborations are seeing more uh in people getting involved with, for instance, uh the front and back of shows. Right? Rutherford Falls. Right? Oh, yeah. Right? I mean look at that. Right, you've got all these writers involved with the show now. Yeah, there's like six of them. Six Native American uh, writers on that. Um, Our friend uh, Valerie Talaman, she's a mover and shaker there in the States and the Southwest. Her daughter is one of the writers on there. So apparently Gary Farmer is going to be in an upcoming episode of Rutherford Falls as well. So that is so cool. And you think of even all the other shows. Mm. I was just talking with a friend about it uh, last night. She's in Massachusetts shooting something. Mm. And uh, we were talking about like the native native actors are popping up on different shows, like FBI Most Wanted. Mm. We see Nathaniel Ar- mm. um, Arcand, yes, mm. and then um, uh, Tantu Cardinal was just a guest on New Amsterdam. 
you know, and now they're shooting that big Scorsese film in, in Oklahoma, you know, about uh, uh, the Osage, uh, what happened to the Osage people there. It's mm. based on a true story. I mean, Tantu Cardinal's working with Martin Scorsese. <laughs> you know, they call, she says, we call him the wizard, she said. <laughs> and you know who else is in that film? Robert De Niro and Leonardo DiCaprio. Talk wow. about name nice. dropping, but, nice. and it's an indigenous story. You know, and it's going to be so cool. And Robbie Robertson's doing the soundtrack for that, apparently. That's fabulous, of course. (laughs) Of course. Him and Marty, you know. (laughs) Yeah, they're right. (laughs) It's a given, right? (laughs) We started out about the the story, the Res Rocket (laughs) Romance. That's how we started with your story in Indigenous Toronto, right? (laughs) Back to the story. Yeah, it's come full circle. Um, It's, I just loved sharing it and I was a bit nervous to talk to my dad about it mm. you know because my dad's very shy you mm. know my dad's 85 years old mm. now and mm. and uh, I would ask him things and he'd go yeah you know he's very quiet yep that happened yep yep <laughs> and I asked him you know so when you saw mom walk down you know when she first got on this my dad was already on the streetcar yeah and my mom got on she's they're both you know my dad's in a suit and my mom got on she's all dressed up and yeah. everything gets on the streetcar and she saw him right and she thought oh my god he's the most handsomest indian man i've ever seen in right. my life right and then my dad's thoughts he saw my mom and he said i i saw her in a wedding gown yes you know, I when know, they yeah. first laid eyes yeah. on each other, yeah. it was just like, oh, my God, like, it, that's magic. It's right? like, oh, OK. So he could already see the future of what was going to yeah. happen with the relationship. Yeah. And, then, you know? and then they're on the streetcar and then he got off before her. So yeah. she was, you know, she go, oh, too bad, too bad. Right. Yeah. She got off at the next stop. Turns out they were both going to the same dance yeah. and uh, North American Indian Club yeah. that the late Pat Turner used to organize. Mm. And this is in 1960. Mm. So this is when a lot of people were leaving residential school yeah. and trying to go home and not fitting in at home. Right. You know, so people right. gravitated to the cities and a lot right. of them took courses, college courses. Yeah. Uh, my father never went to residential school. You mm. know, mm. He, he went to school in Burlington. His mm-hmm. parents... You know, never sent. He never had to go. Yeah. But my my mother went to Spanish uh, Indian residential school on the North Shore of Georgian Bay for right. for ten years. Wow. 10 from years. six to sixteen. Mm. So um, you know, after that, she went went to Toronto and went to Secretarial uh, Business College. You know, and uh, she became like an executive assistant and worked in various uh, departments of the provincial government for many many years. And then she uh, made when. Indigenous organizations started to emerge, like emerge, like the Union of Ontario Indians and uh, Chiefs of Ontario. <clears throat> she already had a good skill set, you know, so she applied and she got in those organizations like really quick. So, right. you know, and then she was able to introduce us to what was going on and everything. Right. But um, just getting back to the story, um, so um, when Pat Turner organized these. Uh, dances i i i compared it to like what i would do with res blues because <laughs> it would bring people together yeah, right? yeah, yeah. That's and right. so um that's what the north american <laughs> indian club dances did that pat organized and so um my dad was a, a volunteer bartender yeah at night yeah. for that dance yeah, that's right. and then um and uh, my mom was there with her girlfriends and then uh, she went to go she my mom was actually waiting for her a date yes 
she had a date and he never showed up. Yeah, that's right. So um, anyways, my mom goes and gets herself a drink at the bar and everything. And she sees my dad and they're making googly eyes at each other and everything. (laughs) So, and they started talking by the end of the night, you know, my, they, they exchanged numbers and agreed to go on a date. And then four months later um, on the very same streetcar, my dad proposed to my mom. Yeah, I wasn't (laughs) expecting the story to start on a streetcar in Toronto for the (laughs) You know, but there's even that um, that element of of how things don't always work. And I don't know if we could call it racism, but there's that element that took place when they wanted to get married. And you have the the priest that didn't show up and he deliberately didn't show up. Yes, yes. That yeah, my parents had planned on getting uh, married in Christian Island, yeah. and everyone was there. And uh, my dad's parents, you know, who very rarely left the reserve, made the trip yeah. up to Christian Island. Yeah. And so the families were there in the church and waiting, you know, for the priest. And so there were people standing outside the church, kept looking at the dock. You know, where's the priest? Where's the mm-hmm. priest? Priest never showed up. Yeah. Right? Can you imagine how my mom felt? You know, oh. she's this twenty-one year old, twenty-year-old beautiful yeah. young woman waiting to get married to the yep. man of her dreams and no priest. Yeah. So they couldn't get married. Yeah. Right. And then, so uh, they got married two weeks later in Toronto at St. Peter's church, you know, right across from Bathurst subway, <laughs> you know, uh, and there was only four of them, yeah. you know, my mom's brother right. who stood up and then his girlfriend, uh, Marilyn was my mom's yeah. bridesmaid. It was just the four of them, yeah. you know, so they did get married and then they went right to six nations and had a little party, you know, had a cake with the family that, there and a little mm-hmm. party and and that was it but uh yeah they managed to 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 pull it off mm. hey, you know elaine i found it also really interesting about the uh sort of the politics of the families because your mom's family uh was christianized they were raised as catholics right yes yes very staunch and then your very dad strict. of course was longhouse yeah so it was really you know it's like that with any young couple in love you know Mm -hmm. if it's a jewish person marrying a catholic or whatever it's like that in the world right any two different religions two different cultures try to marry it's Mm -hmm. the family's always going to you know have that pushback because they want them to marry within their own yeah religion right right? and so they had to you know fight against that and um you know my 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 grandmother what i didn't write in that book and i had remembered after was my mom my grandmother, my mom's mom, had written her a letter like, you know, don't don't marry that pagan savage. Wow. You know, in the words like yeah. of the Jesuit missionaries, yeah. that's how yeah. Christianized and yeah, you know that that was. Mm. And um, yeah, my my dad's parents too. You know, he was expected to marry a good long longhouse woman. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. and so hence. Why we were raised in Toronto, you know, we were mm. really, you know, welcome in, you know, either place at first, yeah, right, at yeah. first, you know, but. Yeah, it's, but it's, it's those it kind of things. real challenge for them. And then we didn't find, my mom didn't find out till like well over 30 years later that the priest had no intention of marrying them. Yeah. You know, uh, she found out a friend of hers from Cape Croker yeah. had told her, oh, you know, we, um, that priest, you know, is supposed to marry you. Is just laughing and everything, saying he saved you, right. saved a good Christian girl from marrying. Again, those words, those yeah. awful words, yeah. you know. Yeah. And um, my mom couldn't believe it. My yeah. mom cried again, and she yeah. was, "Oh my God!" You know, she just, just, yeah. just floored her. Yeah. You know, but anyway, you know, 
True love rules. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed, it does. <laughs> Elaine, it's been fascinating speaking with you. I, I want to say Yawagoa uh, uh, for taking time to join me on the show to talk about the story that is in Indigenous Toronto and people can order it online, Coach House Books. Elaine, congratulations on all your success and all the stuff that you're involved with. And Yawagoa, uh, once again, for taking the time to join us on the show. And I look forward to speaking with you again soon. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay, Ona, take care. And that is Elaine Bombery. It's been my pleasure to have her on the show talking about the story in Indigenous Toronto. And uh, you can find that by going to Coach House Books and ordering it there. Elaine Bombery, of course, is both Anishinaabe and Cayuga from Six Nations of the Grand River Territory and has been involved with music for a long time, doing a lot of great work. That is our show for today. Thank you for listening to Moment of Truth on Element FM. I'm your host, David Moses. We'll see you again next time. This has been Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM.